0: Om Maviana Timiranda Sia Salakaya and the Shaksurun Militum Yena Tasmai Sigra in a Maha O Maviana Timiranda Sia Oh, this is oh, that's weird. That's This things
1: playing it back to me. <laughs> what is
0: going oh, on? That's
1: weird. Okay, well, that was strange. I'm talking to myself here, huh? <laughs> uh well, i'm just going to continue from where i left off twice c
0: jetanam alo bistam stapitam putale swayamrupa karamahim darati swaparantikam vande siguro si siuta parakamalam si gurun Sīrūpam si Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Paridana Sahitam Krishna Chaitan Devam Sīrādhā si Radha Sahagana Lalita Si Namo Bhakti Vinodaya Satchidananda Namine Gaura Shakti Swarupaya Rupanuga Varayate Vande Sri Krishna Chetanya Nityanando Sahorito Gaura Daye Pushpa Vanto Citra Sandho Tamonuro Vande Ham Sri Ramakrishna Bhaya Jarana Sukaro Paramanando Sundaro Subalaprio Sea Guru Vaishnav, si Gordia Vaishnav, Guru Paramparaki Jai, si Param ki Jai, Sea Gurudev jai Go Remanande Haribo.
1: Okay, welcome everybody. Let's see, there's a couple other, a few more people showed up. Kanuram Jai, welcome. Welcome, Krishna Kumari Dasi in Sarada. And who else do we have here? Ramuhandas, Mohan Jai, uh, congratulations on your initiation. I just now saw that your cha- name has changed. Okay, so last week, of course, what happened was that Lahiri Mahashai became a real devotee. Now, he had had those doubts about. Um, the difference between Nitya Dharma and Vaishnava Dharma, but then Vaishnava Das got through to him through his uh, chit shakti that you know the stroke shakti that's coming through him, and uh, it completely wiped out the material anartas or the material impressions in Lahiri Mahashai's chitta. And while he was the Bob was like rising in his heart, Vaishnava Das uh, handed him his beads and said. Uh, the chant the maha mantra with these beads and basically it was like a Haryanam, like this impromptu Haryanam initiation and when uh, lahiri Mahashai accepted the uh, beads he felt such insanely intense bliss that he uh, fainted and passed passed out and stayed unconscious for a long time and so that's where we are at right now and kind of quite exciting but at this point, since Bhakti knows how to tell a story, he's starting th- to throw some obstacles in Lahiri Mahashay's way. It's said that the, in some ways, the most important thing in novels and fiction and, and storytelling is, is conflict. Conflict is what uh, pushes the story forward and, and keeps the reader at the edge of their seat because Conflict creates this. Uh, what would you call it? Uh, anticipation. Everybody, if you if you uh, identify with the protagonist or the the main character or characters, you root for them, and and you want them to succeed. And and the the conflict is this uh, thing that heightens your feelings. You you really want. The protagonist to succeed and so the feelings for the the affection you have for the protagonist gets really jacked up so to speak when when there's conflict and the stronger the conflict is the more intense the feelings are and of course this this plays out in krishna lila and, and gorila all the time it's part of the the Ras theory and, and the, the science really of, of emotions. Conflict is like a very important part of you. Think about like the extreme conflict of Krishna leaving Vrindavan, for example. That's like the height of conflict there, that it doesn't get, it does not get more heightened than that. So anyway, Bhaktivinoda, of course, knows all these things. He's a great storyteller and a very learned person. And so now, you know, if there was no conflict, Lahir Mahashai reached Bhav, just in a few days because of the mercy of Das Babaji. And then in another, you know, you know, eventually Lahiri Mahasaya will reach Prem and that's that. And of course, nothing's going to stop that. And we know it as devotees from the Siddhantic point of view that nothing can actually stop the flow of, of Sadhana Bhakti to Baba Bhakti to Prem Bhakti. Even offenses, they can block it for a while, but nothing can actually stop the flow of Bhakti. So on that level, we know that nothing can stop Lahiri, Lahiri Mahashai at this point, but you know, the story becomes a lot more interesting when there's conflict. And of course, that's what the next chapter, the chapter five is all about really, when you think about it on, the, on its surface at, surface, at least on the level of the story. And the conflict of course, comes in the form of uh, Lahiri Mahashai's family. And uh, I'm sure all of us, probably to a greater or lesser degree, unless we have devotee parents and family members, we know that that is a very real thing. When, uh, when we become devotees, that tension and conflict with our family starts happening. And for myself, although I have very, very open minded and liberal parents, they're both atheists. And what well, my mom used to be, now she's a. Uh, an agnostic, but anyway, so they tried really understanding my my choices and everything, but there was obvious conflict because of the fact that our world worldviews all of a sudden started butting hit. And really, I guess what happens is if you think about Lahiri Mahashai, his previous some scars got completely wiped away by the period of bhakti. And so the person that he used to be basically is no more because that person used to be the, the sum total of his, his uh, vasanas and samskars in his chitta. And all of a sudden, like, of course, he still recognizes his family and everything, but the, he's not driven by the same things. He doesn't have the same attachments anymore. And that's for the family, of course. That's all that Lahiri Mahashai used to be. So now all of a sudden, he's a totally different person Like, and they think he's gone mad. And of course, for us as sadhakas, it's not as dramatic because we haven't, most of us haven't reached Bhav yet. So we still have a fair amount of those old samskars left. But the thing is, what happens is most of us have, and the more we have samskars, bhakti samskars from our previous lives, there's that moment when we become devotees, unless we are born in a devotee family, where that kind of kicks, the, the bhakti samskars kick in. They're like laden in our chitta. Uh, but they kick in at a certain point when we have that conversion experience. And that's why it seems to us like we've finally regained ourselves, and seems to our family like they've just lost us. <laughs> and that's because we have this feeling as Sadhakas that, that we are more than what material life is, and like we have this like gnawing feeling that there's something there hiding and we can't access it. And that at least, at least that was my experience. And then when I finally connected with Bhakti, it was like this explosion. Like, seriously, that's what it felt to me like. Like, this is me, you know, this is who I am. And it's the exact opposite for the people who knew us before, who only related to us on the level of the material of Asanas and Samskars. Of course, then, then we have to start the process of like kind of bridging that gap and, and slowly, slowly try to... Make our family and parents understand what we're about now, and you know it can be integrated if unless we're fanatic fanatical like a lot of devotees are when they have that initial explosion, because we have this idea that we can only you know live through the bhaktisam scars because we kind of tend to think that we're more advanced than we are in the beginning. So anyway, then it comes down, and then we start relating to our parents and family on this more reasonable level, I guess. But of course, in Lahir's case, there is no so-called more reasonable level because he is completely gone in a way. And let's, that's where we start off this story. So Bhaktivinoda starts describing um, that he starts the first scene of the fifth chapter is um, uh, this description of Lahir Mahashai's family that lives in Shantipur, where, which is of course uh, where uh, Advaita Acharya Lived was born and lived in, and so uh, Lahir Mahashai has two sons and a wife, and one of the sons is called. Um, let's see, what is his name? Chandranath, and he's a like a landowner and a scholar of medical science, very very learned man, and very kind of has this natural abhiman of being like a, a leader and a. a respectable, you know, influential person, but he has no interest whatsoever in religion or the shastras. And then the other son of Lahiri Mahashai is Devidas, Vityaratna, who's a, a scholar of the Naya Nyaya Shastra and the um, Smriti scripture. So in other words, it's like logic and the kind of like social religious injunctions for Varnashram that's what he's preoccupied with and he's a teacher he's a it's a brahman family so he's a teacher He has a little school down the road from their house and then uh, it's interesting to think that it seems like what bhaktivinot was doing with this setup is that in a way those are the two uh different aspects of of material attachment as it plays out through the brahminical culture it's like prestige and, and prosperity on one hand and then shastric learning kind of book learning on the other hand as opposed to this like real spiritual um, realization. And, and so these are the two sons and then one day these rumors start circulating in Shantipur because Lahiri Mahasaya of course their family is very prominent and influential in Shantipur so it's kind of like some very influential person all of a sudden joins a cult or something and then you know the cnn and fox news and all these everybody's talking about it and you know speculating about it and rumors and everything so the old school way of that happening was that there was all this gossiping going on in the bathing bathing goths where people would gather the marketplaces and and the temples and so on and different people are saying different things like you know you know the, the old man must have gone sea nile and all. There's no point. Like, how could it be that be that somebody's that prosperous and has everything materially, but he like goes and cl- uh, clothes, clothes himself in rags and like hangs out with all these like kind of suspect characters in the woods of of Godrum. Like, what's up
2: with that?
1: And somebody says oh you know this is what happens when you know you just go around and shout this is dharma this is dharma like you kind of i guess the implication is that you're a little too preoccupied with like trying to find the truth and then you go a little crazy and then but somebody of course says some more pious person says oh this is a great fortune you know he he had material prosperity and then he's in his maturity he you know took up harinam and this is this wonderful So these different uh, people's different reactions to Lahiri Mahasaya's uh, decision and new lifestyle kind of show the different types of adhikar that people have. And then, of course, we react to things that happen completely based on the sort of like paradigm or the framework, the conceptual framework that we have of life. And so these different peoples, they react according to their particular conceptual framework. And then, of course, the, uh, the rumors get to the, uh, Devidas and um, Chandranath, and they, they get together and they're, you know, kind of really fried and, and concerned about the whole thing because their, their family reputation is at stake. And they say, we have to have a meeting. We've got to meet up with mother and figure out what we're going to do. And so then they go to their house, they, you know, like traditionally in India, you live with your parents and your grandparents and everything. So they go to their house and they are served meal, they served a, like a meal in the second story balcony of their house, which, of course, in that day, back in the day, if you had two stories, that was a pretty big deal. So a nice, uh, bl- uh, trick from uh, Bhaktivinod, on Bhaktivinoda's parts to, to show that they are rich. He doesn't say anything about them being rich. And um, I just got to notice that my internet is unstable. So I have to see some of your faces so I can see if you move or not. (laughs) I know it freezes. Okay, kind Rams giving a thumbs up. Thank you. So then they have the family meeting, the two sons and the mother, and they're like, well, what should we do with this thing? I mean, basically... uh, He's completely defaming us, but the, the mother is more pious and she's like, well, I'm, I don't quite get what you guys are saying, like, uh, I heard from the leading, the wife of a leading Goswami, I talked to her just recently and she said that my husband is extremely uh, uh, lucky that he's gotten the association of Vaishnavs and is chanting Harinam and, and uh, Chandranath gets kind of mad and says oh yeah i'm sure he's doing great but you know see what he did to us you know and like he's just doesn't care about us at all and lets us go to ruin and he's just like having fun in the woods basically so, so then they cook up this idea of like them convincing lahiri Mahashai to return to shantipur and keeping him away from others so that nobody sees how crazy he is and basically trying to reprogram him you know this is like the old school form of deprogramming like you, you bring him back from the woods of Godrum and you put him in a room and like <laughs> re- make him readjust to society and take up his you know prestige and everything and so then they decide that the devidas Vid- vidya radna should go because he's uh, he's learned and everything maybe they are thinking that he has to convince Uh, convince Lahiri Mahasaya on the basis of Shastra or something like that that's my own speculation so don't quote me on that but uh, Devida says well the thing is though that um, dad might not even talk to me because he always calls me an atheist and he doesn't have much respect me at all that doesn't respect me at all because I'm a dry logician basically so I don't know what to do. And then he decides to bring this maternal cousin with him who was very close to Lahiri Mahashai. And so they take off and they go meet uh Lahiri Mahashai. And when they get to to the Pradumna Kunja, Lahiri Mahashai is there chanting Harinam with his eyes closed on the there's this platform in the center of the kunja. And all of a sudden he hears steps and he's kind of like. A little uh, frazzled and he looks up and he sees his son and his favorite you know nephew there and he's like blown away he's like wow you guys what, what are you doing here and they're like well we came to see you and he's uh very happy to see especially Shambhunath and the, the nephew and he asks them well are you taking a meal here and this is another clever thing that Bhaktivinoda does but doesn't comment anything. He says, no, the, the two say, oh, no, no, we've had, we have arranged for our meals. And the real reason that they don't eat with them, of course, is because there's mixed castes within the Babaji's and they don't want to touch food or take food that's touched by the lower caste. And so then all of a sudden, this huge kirtan breaks out in uh, Prem Das Babaji's uh, around that area and Vaishnavdas comes out and they are all kind of like, what's going on? And so Lahiri and Vaishnavdas go investigate what's going on. And it turns out that these devotees have come from Katwa and uh, there's some uh, excitement about that and uh, they start uh, doing kirtan. It turns out these devotees from Katwa are like expert bhajaneers and they start doing this bhajan from Prartana, which is Thakur's um, uh, Takur's song, the compilation of songs. And this one particular song is all about like the hell of material attachment and well, the, the hell of attachment to social status and prestige and these kind of things. And one of the lines is, oh, master, please be merciful and deliver this person intoxicated with the pride of high birth education wealth and attachment to wife children and family members and it's of course you know Bhaktivinoda placed this song there because if you think about where Devidas and Shamanatha are coming from that verse is like totally like encapsulating what their problem is from the point of view of material attachment and then the kirtan just keeps going and going and uh, these Babuk Vaishnavs start like falling over and like rolling around in ecstasy and you can imagine what Devidas and Shambhunatha thinking like uh, the scene is just so extremely filled with this transcendental bliss and focus that Devidas is starting to think like oh man like this is actually not going to be as easy as I thought like I can see that father is completely immersed in this spiritual practice and and this kind of deep focus on these things and the kirtan goes on till midnight because that's how you know spiritual parties can be sometimes and then they finally disperse. And then so Devidas and Sambunath don't get a chance to speak to Lahiri until the next, next day. And so they show up again and sit down and start talking to Lahiri. And uh, Devidas basically says that he wants Lahiri to return home. And Lahiri Maharshalaya says, well, that's a good idea, but you know, there's no devotee association in um, shantipur in fact he goes on and says these things about the people in shantipur like fine garments and grandiose words and blasphemy of vaishnavs are the three defining characteristic qualities of the people of shantipur and he's kind of like well why would i go there i finally found the devotee association here and that's what i want to stick to and devidas says yeah you're right that's true but you could just stay in a house in a house and in a solitary place and just do your practice of sandhya vandana and uh, do your spiritual practice because it's said that for brahman the sound sandhya vandana is his nitya dharma eternal religion or spiritual practice and this does not bode well with lahiri mahasha he gets a little grave and says those days are over for me and then he says um that only hari bhakti is actually Nitya dharma and then devidas little preturb, he's like well isn't sandhya vandana part of uh, hari bhakti i mean like it's a it's a form of vai bhakti basically like what are you talking about and uh, this is kind of where the meat of the chapter begins because the chapter is called um, Vaidhi Bhakti is, is Nitya Dharma, or Vaidhi Bhakti is eternal. And so, this is of course the same problem that Lahiri Mahashai himself had previously. And because the sons are kind of like the father reborn, the sons, you know, repeat his mistakes in terms of uh, these conceptual misunderstandings. And then Lahiri Mahashai goes on to explain that. There's different motiv- motivations behind the apparent hari Haribajan that different types of people do. And this is really good for us to remember also as sadhakas. Sometimes, uh, I mean, especially now that Bhakti and Kirtan are getting a lot more popular in the West, um, it's easy to think that, well, we should just, you know, get together with all the people who are into Kirtan and do whatever, whatever Kirtan we want to do and do whatever Kirtan they want to do. And there's, you know, some some, um, what would you call it, license for that, if, if you do it in a way of not compromising what your chanting is about. But at the same time, we have to be aware of the fact, and this is exactly what Lahiri Mahasaya is talking about, and we can take it directly uh, to heart, I think, that the activities can seem exactly the same. Somebody like Krishna Das is, is chanting the maha mantra, for example. The activities seem the same but we have to understand what the motivation is behind that chanting because all these things affect our chitta like if we expose ourselves to chanting that is motivated by moksha for example it's going to create certain samskaras in our heart and it doesn't have to be this like all oh, these guys are demons you know they don't know anything and in fact we're going to go to that the idea of adhikar later on because lahira Mahashai brings it up we don't have to be judgmental or like think that we're so much better than everybody else but we do have to be clear i think of the fact that that there are consequences from engaging in haribajan that is not pure and so that's something that i think we should keep in mind as i go through this and so um he makes a point he kind of like summarizes the main point in the beginning here he says that the, the only only reason to do hari bhajan is praying. That like the only goal or result of hari bhajan should be praying, and and uh, otherwise they will just get the secondary results, kind of like the side effects of hari bhajan, which
2: are bhukti and mukti, or in other words, material enjoyment and and liberation. Um, And for devotees, of course, the secondary results are
1: akin to like trying to break nuts with an iPhone or something. It's like you're using this amazing thing uh, for something that's way below what it actually can do. So, you know, but of course, you, you can't say like if you have a monkey and you give it an iPhone, iPhone 13 Pro Max, you know, it starts cracking nuts with it and you tell them. No, 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 you, you gotta do this and this. It's beyond their Audit card to actually know how
2: to use an iPhone. Well, actually it's probably not, but let's assume it is because monkeys are very smart. So let's, it's beyond their card to, um card uh,
1: to show them how to actually use the phone So then it's better to have them crack the nuts with the iPhone instead of with the stone, because at least they start getting used to the the preliminary things of the iPhone of holding it and stuff. And then when they're cracking, you know, when they're cracking their nuts like this, maybe they accidentally push the button on the side and then, oh, there's something flashed, you know, like what's going on? And they start getting these hints of like what the thing actually is, but they still keep cracking the nuts and then there's a flash again like whoa what was that on the screen and so that's the idea basically anyway i'm kind of jumping ahead of myself because i'm getting too excited but that's what lahiri Maheshaya is going to say about the fact because then the next question of devidas is well why do the shastras extol the secondary virtues like if it's meant for something else why are they extolling they're not cracking you know and then lahiri says that the the reason is to for the faithless basically to start handling the iphone in a way that they start having these flashes of it having more to it than just cracking nuts basically and so basically when you start using the spiritual process to get what you want you get used to uh, going after your desires through a certain method of scriptures and and sadhana and so on so that's like the pre- pre- preliminary thing of for
2: learning to hold the iphone although you're using it for the wrong thing or something like that and um
1: so basically you show them how to get the immediate results with Bhajan to get them used to the thing right but then Devi does ask well why is it then that some scriptures don't even mention the the primary results that seems like at least you should introduce the primary results and Lahiri basically says that that you have to understand that some people are just not ready to hear the whole truth because if you tell them the whole truth they lose interest in the thing itself and so then he goes on to explain that There's really three types of scriptures, the sattvika, rajasika and the tamasic kind of scriptures, which are geared towards people with different mentalities. And people will have natural faith in the type of scriptures that their mental state or mental coloring is. And so if you're very tamasic, you don't want to be talking about, you know, the near guna aspect, because when you're very tamasic, you're so covered by material ideas that you're actually antagonistic towards Bhakti, for example. So you don't want to give them at that point something that's going to repel them and then they're going to drop the practice in itself. And I had an interesting personal experience in this relation. Uh, I used to... I have a friend in Finland who's... uh, Back then, he was really into this hardcore punk music. I, I came from that scene and we played in the same bands and stuff. And so he had this... Uh, streak of like spiritual interest but he was also had this heavy tamasic streak at the same time and so he knew that i'm into krishna consciousness and he knew about the vedic tradition and so he was like well i'd like to borrow some of your books but i'm not really interested in all that you know all that glorification all this glorification of this god and that god like that's really i'm interested in the the secret knowledge you know like basically what he was looking for was this occult knowledge for siddhis or something that makes him more powerful, that he had enough faith to think that to really become powerful, you can utilize this like this uh, spiritual way of getting there. And it was so funny because when I read the Bhagavatam, it was like the glorification was what I was looking for. I'm not trying to praise myself here, but certain adhikar with people with bhakti adhikar, that's what they look for in the Bhagavatam, and people with this tamasik adhikar, they're looking for the dark stuff they're looking for personal power and of course the same thing goes for people with rajasic faith they're looking for how to improve their material condition through religion and so the interesting thing is what happened to my friend was that he got into black metal oh he was actually into black metal already back then and he now he's kind of like a semi satan worshiper (laughs) so Really, what I should have done probably is to try to introduce him to some of the aspects of the Vedic culture that like the left hand Tantra or something so that he would at least stay in the realm of the Vedic thought. And that's really the beauty of of the Vedic system is that it's all encompassing. It's so beautiful. And this is what Lahiri is trying to explain to his son right here, is that whatever your adhikar or your inclination is, there is an aspect of Hinduism or let's say the Sanatana Dharma. That, that treats that inclination, that, that corresponds with that inclination. And so although it can be really rough, like you think about some of the Durga worship, I mean, they like have sex, they have these Durga butchers. I'm not going to go into detail, but they like have sex with other people's wives who are in the same space. They have wine, they smoke pot, you know, they do everything that is wrong based on the subject, Shastras. But they do it in the context of worship. <laughs> And it's really a brilliant system when it comes down to it. And I think Western devotees have something to learn about this. We have this tendency of being a little too evangelical sometimes of like being like, there's only one way, you know, pure Krishna consciousness is the only way. I mean, of course, I'll say something about that too, but sometimes like Prabhupada was not like that. He would say to drunks, you know, he would say, just think about the taste of wine being Krishna and offer your wine to Krishna. I mean, that's, it's a beautiful form of non-fanaticism. It's just like, okay, that's where you're at. Go from there. And, and that's going to work for you. And then, uh, um, yes, Krishna Kumar says, a point of entry for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, it's so accommodating. Such a beautiful path. And of course, you know, Harinam is extremely purifying. And anybody can chant Harinam. And so basically, probably what I should have told my friend is, oh, you want to have siddhis and, and these dark powers? Why don't you chant Hare Krishna? It's like, it's the dark lord, the name of the dark lord. You'll get that. You'll get, you know, <laughs> your evil lord from it. You know, he cheats you. The women cheat their husbands with him. And he's a real debauchee or something like that. But I was not smart enough back then. I was much more fanatical. So I was not smart enough to think of that answer. Anyway, let's move forward. Um, So after Lahiri explains all these uh, different types of uh, shastras and how they are perfectly geared towards different kinds of mindsets and adhikars, he says that, he says to his son, I used to call you an atheist, but now I don't criticize anybody because everyone behaves according to their adhikar. And that's exactly what we were talking about. And... um, I'm kind of wondering if I should go into this, I guess I'll just go for it. Uh, I'm kind of going too slow again, but stuff's coming up, so I'm just gonna talk about it. Uh, there's this um, behavioral scientist called Brené Brown. You might've heard her name. She's this lady from Texas who kind of inadvertently became this sort of like a self-help guru, but she's very different from the your typical self-help guru, gurus because she's basically a uh, scientist who studies he's like she's like a psychologist but she bases her studies on data instead of uh theory and she had this thing she did this study and she asked these deacons for example these like religious clergy whether they believe that in, in general people are doing the best they can with whatever they have and she said that it's pretty much like a 50-50 thing that most uh, half half of the population thinks people don't are not doing the best they can. And half of them, people think that people are actually doing mostly the best they can. I mean, it's not like everybody, but like, as a general principle. And then she asked them, and I would like to ask you guys to do the same. She asked them to think of a person that you really kind of despise for their bad qualities. Just think, bring a person. It can be anybody from your family or somebody you know, or some, even some like uh, public person or something. So think about that person and then consider if God came down and told you that that person is actually doing the best that they can, like how that change your
2: feeling and opinion about that person. And uh, it's, you know, I'm not saying that this is,
1: it's necessarily true in every case that every people are doing the best they can, but if you want to have more compassion and more empathy for people, it certainly helps to think like that, at least strategically at certain times, to think, well, they are doing the best they can with whatever adhikar they basically have. And the interesting thing was, Brene Brown herself did not used to think that people are doing the best they can. She was like, hell no, no. People are just like, you know, they, they're not doing the best they can. And then so she was then talking to her friend one day, and the f- she asked, she, she was just doing that research right at the time. And then she, you know, she asked everybody, she met basically the same question. So she was talking to her friends, just like casual. And she was like, what do you think? And the friend was like, oh, hell no. People are such slobs. Like they, they just don't care. And then Brené was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what I think too. And then the friend said, yeah, think, take, for example, women who like don't breastfeed longer than like less than a year, or they only like breastfeed like less than a year or less than a half. I mean, come on, like, what, what kind of people are what, why do they even have to have kids if they can't breastfeed for longer than that? And they say they get this and that excuse, but that's just selfish. Brené Brown goes, yeah, yeah, those people suck, right? Right. <laughs> and turns out she had not breastfed her kids more than half a year. And what she wanted to say to her friend was, I was doing the best I could. <laughs> but of course, she didn't end up saying anything to her because it was so awkward. So anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is, Basically what Lahiri Mahashai is saying is that everybody is doing the best they can with the audio card that they have. And, and so to criticize somebody who's doing the best they can, that's actually a form of uh, of spite, or what would you call it? It's, it's a form of like ill uh, I can't find the right word, but it's malicious, really. And so when vaisishnas are told not to criticize. I think this is the basis for that for a good part the basis is that people are doing the best they can and and of course we make bad decisions and it doesn't mean that we have to condone their bad behavior but we there has to be like empathy for the fact that we're so covered by ignorance that we make these terrible decisions and we treat other people really badly because of ignorance and you know, in a way, you could say, well, it's your own fault because you keep making bad decisions. But if our whole persons are like informed by our ignorance, that's really what we are, materially speaking. If our whole like decision-making capacity, our like paradigms about life are informed by ignorance, how can we make good decisions? And of course, the answer is we can't. What happens is we start getting sadhusanga, and that mercy starts enabling us to start making the good decisions little by little. And that that power basically grows as we get more sadhusanga and more purification from that. So you could really say that we're like hopeless and helpless in terms of coming out of from underneath the ignorance without the mercy of the sadhus and the scriptures. And that's really what where Lahiri Mahashai then goes from there. He he starts saying how the that faith in the Shastra is the root of all auspiciousness. Like without that, you can't have a progressive life. And um, Devidas' faith starts changing at this point. He starts understanding that vaisnavs are not just these sentimental fanatics who just scream, you know, some like names of God in the woods, but they actually have this scriptural basis of understanding uh, reality and and the world and and their own being and everything and um and when lahiri recognizes that Das's faith is starting to awaken or this faith in in the Vaishnava dharma is starting to awaken a little bit he takes him to uh das's kutir to introduce him to his guru which is like the next step like that's normally what happens if if you have a devotee friend and you're not a devotee and then you start showing some interest The devotees like what they did when Prabhupada was here they would always take that devotee to Prabhupada as, as soon as possible which makes perfect sense because he had this like shakti just like flooding through him and uh, that's what i would like to do if, if i have a friend who starts getting interested you know i want to have what i would like them to have a connection with my guru maharaj and so that's what lahiri does and so then there's this whole discussion between Devidas and Das, but I'm kind of gonna skip over that because uh, there's still ground to cover and it's not super pertinent to the topic itself. But just to, to summarize, they are basically talking about, uh, Das is asking Devidas what his level of education is. And basically Devidas says he, he's striving for liberation by following Varnashram Dharma really strictly, which purifies him and, and gives him Mukti. And then there's this whole back and forth that makes Devidas understand like, wow, this person has like rejected Mukti and the, the lower scriptures for the Bhakti scriptures. And then in the end, it's a beautiful thing, uh, Vaishnav Das recommends that Devidas, because Devidas says that he'd like to study the Upanishads under uh, Vaishnav Das and vrishnabdas says well i have no time for anything else than serving the vaishnav and the and chanting hari nam but if you want to read a really good commentary on the vedanta sutra mahaprabhu has given a commentary and there's this written out manuscript circulating around that they wrote based on what mahaprabhu told sarabana bhatacharya and you can find it at the house of kavi karnapur in the in the <laughs> Village of Kanchanapali, which is pretty cool. Like when this story is unfolding, Kavikarnapur is still on the planet. Um now this is pretty dense stuff. I wonder if I should stop here and then we can continue next time. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna keep it short. So I'm just gonna give a little like uh, appetizer of what is to become in the next what's to come in the next uh, class and that is that they will start uh Lahiri is going to start breaking down the different subcategories of people who are trying to reach beyond the immediate material uh, enjoyment in life and then he explains the different categories and uh, there's some discussion about how Vaidhi Bhakti can be eternal because it's done with material ingredients and so on it's some interesting stuff so I think I'm gonna stop there and uh, ask
2: if you guys have any comments or questions. I'd love to hear them. Oh, there's some comments in the chat. Carolina is saying it could work for us too. I think Karolina, are you ref- referring to like the fact that we can also enter bhakti on different levels are I think she might be typing. if any anybody else has a question or especially a comment, I'd love to hear.
3: thank you. Okay. I have a, like a like a sometimes a very focused mind, so I was cooking. I couldn't catch all of it. so Excuse me if I didn't understand the point, but this was really helpful for me to hear that that for my own self-work, to know that I can give myself a break, you know? Like sometimes I might just not have an card to actually overcome something. And it just might have to be something like in Christianity. It's like you're just going to have to like deal with this one. You know, how do they say um, what you can't change, you should tolerate. So, I mean... Gurmah's Gita, you know, one of those verses, one of the first verses when Krishna begins in the second chapter, like to lay down like what you need, like uh, before he starts laying out like this is how the supreme, the supremely realized person is. But mm-hmm. prior to that, as Gurmah's comments that I, I forget the verse, but he says tolerance is is number one, like that's the premise of that, like the the basis that everything builds on. So just try to tolerate whatever I can't change in myself and. To actually know that, okay, there's an adhikar that might be playing into it heavily is also like, whoa, like that's a good, gives me a little bit of a break to myself and being like, oh, why aren't you getting better with this thing already? Like, come on, like you're doing so much sadhana, you should get over this issue already, you know? So, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. That was a great comment. I mean, I, I'm like so aware of that dynamic in my own sadhaka life because of, uh, when I came to Audaria, I was like so beyond my Audi car for, for a couple of years, especially especially the two first years. I mean, it got easier, but like, man, I was really, really beyond, way beyond my Audi car. And then you can feel it because everything becomes a struggle. Like I always remember uh, Archon City saying how she it took her forever to clean toilets in the ashram because really what it is, is the whole internal system gets completely out of whack. It's almost like if you have a compass, right? And then, but then you have this huge block of magnet and you go like this around the compass, it's going to get totally like weirded out, out of whack. And that's really what it's like because, like, the compass is based on the, the material directions and the, the magnetic fields of the earth. But then you have this outside force of bhakti that has a completely different magnetic field of its own. And it messes up your internal systems at first if you come to a sangha that is beyond your adhikar. But of course, that kind of like unsettling thing, what happened, of course, with a lot of Prabhupada disciples, with Prabhupada and stuff, what it does also give you is this huge opportunity opportunity to revamp yourself. Actually, Omkar, that's the point you made. That was a really good point because my when you made that point in your interview, I said, oh, it's so rough. But your, your approach is so much better. It was like, actually, it's, it's a great opportunity. And I really did take that to heart that, yeah, actually, that's a much better way of looking at it, that it's really unsettling, but it also dislodges you from this like lifetimes of grooves of running in a certain direction because you're stuck in the groove of your material body your car. So, but yeah anyway thank you for the comment there's a sarda says i have questions about vaidibhakti and more but would prefer to absorb more of your classes first so maybe next time die yeah that might be a good idea maybe the next class because i'll go more i was supposed to be talking about that this class but i didn't quite get there so let's do that uh, next week and then very much looking forward to your questions Carolina says, yes, I meant to have compassion for our own situation, not be so harsh. Definitely. Absolutely agree with that, Karolina. Um, I have, I can say from my own experience, I have a very bad tendency of being too harsh on myself. And uh, I mean, Guru Mahesh has even said, say, like, if there's something that really uh, disturbs your mind, you have some desire that you just cannot give up. And then you keep banging your head against the wall, you're like, oh, I'm like you, you're like totally forcing yourself to go against it. Grumash said, just go and do it and get back and get back with your sadhana, I'll get on with your sadhana, just forget about it. And so like sometimes you have to like let go and then but keep the focus of what you overall what you want in life. I see Krishna Kumari has unmuted herself. You have a question? Jai. Hi Krishna. Um,
4: how do you? Pronounce, um I just wanted to say that I just love how you know, the Jiva Dharma is so um, applicable to our lives, you know, just whatever we go through. And I was thinking about the family piece and um, I was introduced to the devotees because when my son was 19, he went and joined the Hare Krishnas. (laughs) And um, I was pretty freaked out about that. I thought (laughs) this is a cult and they've captured my son and they're going to eat his brain and I'm never going to see him again. And and so, when um, I went to meet with him the first time, and I heard the Mahamacha, it was like coming home for me yeah. again. Yeah. But um he um, just the whole idea of, you know, he was really a very experiential person, and he was a drummer, and he was into sex drugs and rock and roll at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, Like the family was like, oh, you need to do whatever you can to get him out of that situation. You know, it's a cult. And so Mm -hmm. when I went and visited with them and met the temple president and they answered all my questions, I was thinking, well, do I want my son to possibly have this life where he could lose his life with the risky behaviors that he was engaging in? Or do I want him to have a life filled with God and other people that are, you know, on the same path? And so I had enough faith in God that I was like, no, this is really going to, you know, be the path for him. Mm -hmm. And through through that path, then I joined as well. So it was just a very um, interesting experience with the family and how I've heard stories of uh, family members that would try to bribe them to come back. We'll buy you drugs. We'll buy you this and that just to get them away from the Hare Krishnas. (laughs) And... um, I am just so grateful every day for Krishna and for um, the devotees, you know, for this this process and being able to be a part of it. So it's pretty amazing. And also the part about um, the psychologist and people doing it the best that they can do. And I just, that is just so helpful, you know, even though we're all devotees, I still have um, family members that just really, um, you know, when I first joined, it's like everybody was a demon, you know, if they weren't in Krishna consciousness. So it was kind of like a back um, polarized kind of way of thinking at it. And so now it's, it's like more, yeah, you know, they are doing the best they can. They, we all have this conceptual framework um, from our families and that, That come with us from that experience and from our past lives and we're all trying to work through that right we're um so that was just very very helpful in and being compassionate and you know i'm not perfect so i still have um times where it's like wow you know that is just really demoniac or um why are they acting like that and i just don't want to have anything to do with them but it really gives us a framework for compassion and to get a deeper understanding of our krishna consciousness so thank you so much
1: yeah beautiful comment that's that's a great story about your son how you came to krishna consciousness um how long ago was
4: that um it's been like 21 years wow so you know he's still in his family is in it and obviously Mm -hmm. i'm still in it so um it's it's beautiful honestly yeah as you know (laughs)
1: That's I've never heard that before, that some people actually say that they will give drugs to their kids if they get yeah. away from, I mean, that's so extreme, but really yeah. shows you where people's adhikar is at, that they would feel that being a devotee is actually worse than doing whatever, it's going to be heroin or whatever drugs they're doing, I mean, that's
2: incredible. Right.
4: Yeah, I was also thinking about, um, oh, I'm looking at my notes here. Oh about the comment about sorry, I'm taking up your time. Oh no like the motivation behind chanting um, and not, you know in having that material enjoyment, but chanting for you know Krishna's pleasure, for the devotee's pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I was also thinking about someone who is a vegetarian versus someone who is a Krishnitarian, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that, oh, yeah, it's really good to be vegetarian. But, you know, for our purpose, we, we, we talk about, well, when we offer our food, it becomes spiritualized. And so that's a different level. But being able to be a vegetarian is a stepping off point, you know, mm-hmm. for yeah. that next step. And so encouraging that as well. So that was another um, point that kind of stood out to me as well. Absolutely. And being encouraging.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. That was a fantastic comment. I'm glad we got it on the tape. <laughs> oh, okay.
4: All right. Thank uh, you so much. I really enjoy your classes.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. One thought that came to my mind from Krishna kumar's comment is that it, the interesting thing is, of course, that Prabhupada was extremely heavy about, like, that's where devotees got it from, that these people are demons, those people are demons. But the the way I think maybe to look at that is, he did that for our adekar he was strong like that because he knew that that people who joined they didn't have like substantial faith and they needed strong enemies so he came off as an as an uh what would you call it uh um ungenerous and uncompassionate person because he was actually compassionate towards us to get us really going in our devotion. So it was. that's really, I think, probably a good way of looking at why Prabhupada was like that himself, because obviously he has this extremely broad understanding of Krishna consciousness and Par. And then because that side of him, Maikuru really likes to emphasize the side of Prabhupada when that extreme uh, accommodating side comes out. So Prabhupada, he had such stark two sides. And then I guess at least one way of... Bringing those two things together is to say that he was strong for our sake, for our AudioCar's sake. Anyway, just a small comment. Kanaram, did you have a comment or a question?
5: Yeah, I I was just thinking about what you're saying about uh, trying, like, trying one's best. And um, I I sort of have, like, two opposing feelings about what goes on there, because I sometimes (laughs) have. I sometimes have wondered, you know, like I have a perfectionist side, which is like, what would it mean to where I feel like, what would it mean if I were to try my best? Excuse me, I got some radio traffic. Um, If I were to try my best, what does that really look like? Where if I were really regulated and I really spent my time wisely and, and got on a schedule and got on a routine because I don't, I don't really even know like what does my best look like? I'm not, but on the other side, or somewhat in the middle, like I'm not able to design my life, I lack the Adi car to design my life in such a way to be really regulated so I could be like my ideal best. So lately, I'm just trying to like make a shorter list of things and, and get through some of them in the day, like and kind of keep those promises to myself. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z today and try to keep my list short.
2: Mm-hmm
5: try not to overdo it because it but um interesting i like i'm a Brene brown fan to some degree i read some of daring greatly and and uh appreciate her comments on vulnerability and courage and yeah anyway
1: She she has a nice way of not being too sentimental but not being too uh rigid and and dry either she's really like a nice balance between the two i think but uh, yeah, that's a really good comment that he made. Like, Basically what you're saying is like, maybe if we think that we are doing the best we can, we don't allow ourselves to be better than we could be. <laughs> and maybe that's like a paradigm that keeps us from making more progress. But the th- thought that I had, I don't know if you were thinking about that, but that's kind of what, I, what came to my mind from your comment, that, that you feel like, I guess, like you could do better but yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could definitely do better.
1: Right. You know, i
5: I could I could be like a strong devotee if I were to push myself. But it's not really in my nature to be like even an ambitious bhakta. I'm not like right. ambitious about a lot of things. I'm not really ambitious as a bhakta necessarily. I'm interested to to some degree, but I'm not super ambitious about it.
1: Right. That, then what, this thought came to me from that, too, because I was thinking about the same thing. And I actually talked to my wife about this point yesterday before when I was prepping the class. And um, so the thought that came to me about that is it's true that we could be better than we are right now, but it's not maintainable. Mostly like, OK, like I could like chance 64 rounds. I could be better than I'm right now. But how long could I actually maintain it? Like, I think when we talk about doing the best we can, it means uh, sustainably, right? So in that way, I can say for myself, I couldn't really do much better than I'm doing right now. Because I have, but I guess one point comes to mind from that as well. And that is that things like Karthik and like Ramadan in other religions or Lent in other religions, those I think are designed to, to do just that that you can in- incrementally up your car by having these intense periods of time that are that don't last for your like that are not continuous, that enable you to feel what it would be like to be better, but that you can't maintain. And then when you ev- have that every year and you really like focus on doing more than your car is for that short period of time, it- it's clearly like a system in all the major religions of the world to like... Gradually up your car by being better for a short moment than you are, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. It's just a thought.
5: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Thank you. I, I've been catching up on your classes on Spotify.
3: So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm very glad to hear.
3: Kind of like a thought came to my mind, kind of like going to a Mela, like people coming to Madhavan from Mela. It's like, whoa, it's beyond my ADECOR. And it's like an explosion of current. And then you come back to your everyday life and you're like, oh my god like this like where did krishna go even <laughs> you know yeah that yeah. happened to but me the... more than once. that's
1: oh me too me too for sure but the nice thing is of course that those moments like they create scars for us so then when that happens like i remember some festivals in audaria when i was a brahmachari that it was just like other world like you really were somewhere else And then the cool thing is that it creates this memory in your chitta that, wow, that's actually possible. Like, I can't live in that reality. But man, like some devotees live in that realm and and way beyond that. That was like a little spark, but it's real. And and you can actually live every second of your life in that reality if once you reach that adekar.
2: That's super exciting. I think that's really what festivals are for. yeah well, it's
1: one hour one hour's up, so I think we'll stop there but thanks thank you so much everybody for showing up and this is very very enlivening for me to be have the opportunity to talk to you all and uh, I hope uh, hope to see you next week. Good.